Welcome to Simply Cyber. Alrighty, people. everybody good morning today is thursday october 27th welcome to episode number 228 of simply cyber's daily cyber threat briefing i'm your host dr gerald Ozier, and over the next 45 minutes i'll be delivering the top cybersecurity news stories of the day and providing expert analysis on each of those stories on what it means to you as a practitioner so how can you operationalize it today at work or if you're looking to break in the industry we got you covered, okay? Good morning to all of you. Shout out and thanks to the stream sponsors, my good friends, Barricade Cyber Solutions and Recon InfoSec. Barricade Cyber Solutions is dedicated to helping businesses from cyber attacks and recover from the damage done, more importantly. Cyber attacks can cause massive issues for businesses and send dedicated, hardworking business owners into turmoil. But Barricade Cyber Solutions knows how to mitigate the damage done by cyber incidents check them out at barricadecyber.com also want to throw some love at recon infosec recon infosec's managed detection and response offering the mdr you may have heard that acronym it includes the people process and technology so the full stack needed to deliver full spectrum security operations to organizations of any size their mdr service includes fully managed fully managed sim and soar and customers gain full visibility into their own environment as well as any incident investigations being worked by the Recon SOC. It is a force multiplier for a fraction of the cost of hiring a SecOps team. That's what MDR does. Recon InfoSec is a security company led by security people. Link in the description below if you're checking out MDRs and need to find one. Also links for BarricadeCyber.com. I want to remind you if you hold professional certifications that require CPEs, each episode of the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing is worth half a CPE, so two and a half a week, 10 a month. Be sure to say what's up in chat and document literally the easiest and I would argue the most enjoyable way to earn CPEs. If you're live, absolutely love it. Drop a hashtag team live in chat. I see 60 of you in here right now. I'm sure many more trickling in. It's always tough with the 10 a.m. start on the Tuesday, Thursdays. If you're watching on replay, whether it's on YouTube, LinkedIn, or audio podcast app of choice. Remember, folks, we can we put this out right after the show ends on audio podcast apps. So get in on that. Be sure to document hashtag Dream Replay so you get credit for those CPs and do all of that. It's always about good times up in here. Let's do this, too. Feel free, if you're watching on replay, to just jump ahead um, because you have the power of time travel. But as we like to do, uh, for the next two minutes or so, I am going to be welcoming all of my friends here in chat to the show. 
and having a couple sips of coffee and just easing in and then we'll get right into the news so let me put this script away and let me say what's up everybody cheers if you're drinking coffee right at you all right oh yeah what's up nate m cyber munchkins in the house i see angel perez a lot of a lot of squad support here i see the squad justin loke and jess bishop Guys, I am really loving the new overlay, specifically how chat is straight from YouTube now, uh, and you're able to use those squad emotes. Absolutely love it. Hey, Carrie. Hey, Just Ben. Good to see you. Jeff Fuller, welcome to the squad. Love it, love it, love it. My good friend. Steve G, how you doing? Dennis Now, I already drunk eight cups of coffee. Oh, my. Oh, my. Guys, for those of you who don't know, the Trace Labs CTF is coming up this Saturday from 4 to 8 p.m. Simply Cyber community is fielding a team. Um, Just let me know in chat if we're still looking for a fourth for that uh, contest. One of the best, best events I've ever been part of. It was awesome. Justin Gold slinging back coffee. InfoSec Kid coffee for everyone. I feel you. You get a coffee. Oh, Nate M., you just found this podcast a couple weeks ago? Welcome to the party. Hey, let's do some, uh, let's get, let here. Give Nate M. a wow just for finding the podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah, Cyber Munchkin, it, Trace Lab CTF. This thing, uh, I, I'll just spend a minute because I feel so strongly about this. It is so awesome. It's called the Search Party. And guys, basically you help law enforcement, four members per team. It's a live, it's a live CTF with real people who are really missing in real life. And there's eight cases. You get whatever intel you can. And for four hours, you and your team grind on OSINT, helping law enforcement locate these people. Me, uh, base case, uh, Michael, um, Jess, we played at DEF CON. Guys, we found one of the people. Another one, um, you know, tragically uh, was deceased. And, you know, obviously we didn't know that and it came out weeks later. So, I mean, there's real, real impact. If you... Did we just become best friends? Yep. Jeremy Williams with the love. Thanks so much, Jeremy. I'll drink that cup of coffee. Guys, if you're interested, get with Jess Bishop. I, I don't know if the teams are full at this point, uh, but it is just such a special, special event. It's it's amazing. Um, I, I would do it every time I could. In fact, I'm actually going to buy a shirt uh, to help support them. Uh, so get with Jess Bishop if you're interested in that. Uh, Prethamesh has started the GRC course. Love it. Love it. All right, guys. Looks like... Uh, hey, Shane Prevost. Good to see you. All right, guys. Let's get into the news. A um, couple minutes of good times. But now it's time to do the work. Let's do the work, people. From the CISO series, it's Cybersecurity Headlines. It's Thursday, October 27th, 2022. SigStore opens free software signing service. At the SigStoreCon in Detroit, the open source project announced general availability of a free software signing service for any open source project. It says it can offer 99.5% uptime and pager support for projects. SigStore already receives high usage in the open source community, signing releases for both Kubernetes and Python communities. NPM plans to integrate SigStore signing into its packages as well. If you're not familiar, SigStore receives funding under the Open Source Security Foundation with support from Google, GitHub, ChainGuard, and Red Hat. Okay, so, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes I hear these ideas, like, or, you know, I, I 
you see the writing on the wall and then you actually see someone do something with it and you're like brilliant absolutely brilliant wish i had thought of it i couldn't have executed on on it but um we just okay so supply chain is a big deal right now okay like open source software log4j hacks right like like supply npm supply chain uh, of open source software and how how far down the road before the open source software gets dark where like people are you know i've got a solution and i tell you it runs apache but then apache tomcat but then okay so the apache tomcat's open source so what is that made of oh it's actually made up of these libraries okay well what are those libraries made of right so if you've ever done software development it looks like a shiny beautiful car but when you pop the hood there's a lot of duct tape there's a lot of zip ties the car works fine but there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of uh, gremlins running around in um, uh, roller wheels. And if you're a software dev, you know exactly what I'm talking about. No, no shame, no, no, no hurt. But the code works. Let's push it to prod. Let's go. Okay. So because of this, we see things like NIST Cybersecurity Framework three years ago add supply chain as an entire uh, functional area inside the security framework. We see the White House in collaboration with private sector, big, big tech companies, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, funding initiatives in order to promote you know, I guess security, resiliency, visibility, transparency, quality code of open source software with the main objective to be a stronger supply chain, both from uh, integrity of code, but also from, you know, being able to trace it like a bill of materials on what the hell is in this piece of software. Because when Log4j drops on December 17th, you are left previously you're left going to huntress's website and dropping in a link and hoping hoping it doesn't come back with something that's how you're doing your search to find out what's in your uh environment versus the other way of true asset inventory where you you uh look at your asset inventory you look at your bill of materials or software bill of materials and you say okay we run that module we do not run that module okay so that's all everything i just flipped out about okay but hold on Everything I just flipped out about is just the precursor to this. So this huge funding comes in, SIGSTORE comes on the scene, whoever's in charge of this, brilliant, brilliant business mind. This is a service that is wanted by the industry that is going to take advantage of all of that public funding, public-private funding, and they're gonna get paid. Watch for whoever's behind this from a business perspective to be driving really nice cars and wearing really nice suits. But for us as practitioners, this is great. If you run open source software, if you run these bigger programs, if you are a consumer of these bigger programs, you're, you're going to want to pay attention to see if those programs are getting into the SIG store to see if they are aligning to that. Maybe you start evaluating that as part of your um, vulnerability management processes of like, hey, we could go with this solution or this solution, but this one is in SIG store or you know, there will be competitors, I would think. This is just first to market, but they will be competitors coming. Um, do we get in there? Uh, uh, like, uh, excuse me, do we go with one that's registered through here? Or do we go with another one? They're comparable in price, they're comparable in functionality, but one has this full trans trans transparency, traceability, integrity, and the others don't. Let's go with that one, okay? So this is classic first to market, good on them. I would expect within the next six months, some type of competitor, unless these guys just knock it out of the park and overwhelmingly dominate that space. <sighs> 
Australian health insurer hacked. Australia's biggest health insurer, Medibank, revealed that a cyber attack compromised data on virtually all its customers, just under 4 million people, or about one in six Australians. Medibank disclosed that all personal and large amounts of medical claims data leaked in the breach. The company reiterated that its systems were not encrypted with ransomware in the attack. CEO David Kozkar apologized for the breach, saying it was designed to cause maximum harm to the most vulnerable members of our community. This comes in the wake of the breach of the telco Optus, which impacted over 10 million Australians. Okay, so it's not a good day down under. Um, internal stranger <laughs> and others, you guys are getting punched in the mouth and then like you like you like stand up like staggering and then you just get like punched in the mouth again. Um, this is the third major breach uh, of PII in Australia in less than a month. If you guys recall, Optus and uh, another telecom company, basically the rest of Australia, got popped. And now, um, you know, this, all this healthcare data of 4 million customers, basically all of Metabank's uh, um, people. I know Australia is more than 4 million people, so it's not everybody, but 4 million is still quite a bit. Um, it's not good. They said that ransomware wasn't deployed. Um, it makes me wonder if like, if ransomware, uh, you know, they did data exfil and then they were trying to do a wiper or they did data exfil and the ransomware just didn't pop because they had defensive mechanisms in place to prevent ransomware, which is why a lot of threat actors are now starting to move away from ransomware and just go into data wiping, uh, after they do data exfil. Um, it's not good. I'm sure MetaBank is going to send a letter to their customers saying that they take their uh, security and privacy seriously. I'm sorry to laugh, uh, but at this point, Australian citizens probably have multiple uh, forms of identity theft protection for two years, 18 months to two years. I don't know what Australia's laws are around privacy and uh, data breach and stuff like that, but look for a lot of uh, either uptick in phishing on Australian citizens or identity theft or um, what else would you do with it? Um, I guess really those are kind of the primary ones of what you would do with like data health records uh, theft. Uh, you could get into like extortion and stuff like that if you were able to uncover that some VIP had some, like, you know, if a politician had uh, terminal cancer and they they weren't disclosing it or something like that, or somebody had an abortion or somebody's pregnant, you know, like there's a lot of like onesie twosie type incidents that you could do with this data set. Uh, but it's going to take a while for these people with 4 million records, um, to kind of sift through it and do that type of thing. Anyways, long story short sucks for, um, Australian citizens today. Researcher details, 20 year old SQ Lightbug. Trail of Bits researcher Andreas Kellis published details on a high-severity vulnerability in the popular database library, first introduced way back in a code change in October 2000. The vulnerability could allow for a denial-of-service attack or arbitrary code execution when presented with extremely large string inputs of one gigabyte or more. Given that at the time SQLite was 32-bit, the bug couldn't have been exploited at that time, likely why it escaped notice. SQLite is included by default by most popular OSs and web browsers. The flaw did receive a patch in version 3.39.2, released in July. Very cool. So this is the first time I've heard of something like this. Um, hmm. That's interesting. So, uh, 
okay, so really quickly, basically this is a buffer overflow attack. Even though it's SQL, it's not SQL injection, it's buffer overflow. I didn't I didn't hear the whole story because I was screwing around with chat with the chat window. Uh but um this is really really interesting. So it's a buffer overflow bug. Um it was never really discovered because we've been operating in 32-bit uh operating systems and you could never get enough input um for it to execute correctly but now with 64 bit you can put more information in and, and basically overflow it so that's really cool um again this is where this this is like a perfect example where having that uh sig sig store thing that we talked about earlier over here having software bill of materials like question do you know if you're running sqlite database libraries in your environment you might not know, right? It could be baked into some solution that you've bought. And you, you're, you basically have an abstraction layer of of like what the database is underneath, what the database technology is, right? So um, you don't know if you're using this. You don't know if it could be exploited. This is not a good look if you're using um, some solution that has text fields or some way to um, input that doesn't have validation, essentially. So you could do an overflow attack um from from the from the internet i don't know if they said in the story if it's being actively exploited um it's just cool you don't you don't actually see it happen that often where something is a bug uh and then it becomes like it, it's a bug but it's not a bug because it can't be exploited and then it becomes a bug when there cuz how often do like hardware architectures change right we were 32 bit forever and now we're 64 bit the next one would be quantum computing but really, quantum computing is going to have a different three-bit operating system, base three. If, if I had to guess, I assume they're going to have to go base three. I don't see how you could do base two um, when there's three bits uh, that, the, that the, the bits could... There's three values the bits could be. So in my mind, it has to be base three. Um, but anyway, so looking at here, successful weaponization of the flaw banks on the prerequisite that the string contains this. Um... Okay, so I'm not looking at chat. I'm not looking at chat. So it seems like maybe um, the SQLite, it, like for this to be actively exploited, it looks like a couple things have to be in place. One, you have to have the SQLite that version that has the bug, which it sounds like it's all versions. Then you have to be running on a 64-bit uh, architecture or operating system underneath the hood. So the machine has to be that, which many are nowadays. And then the input validation has to allow this uh, percent %Q, percent %W format substitution types, uh, maybe at the application level. So there's a couple of things going on here that have to happen. I think the, the reason that this made it into the story is because it's a 22-year-old bug and we don't we don't really see it that often, especially in our industry where we're being more proactive about um, getting in front of things way faster than 20 years. So fun one, buffer overflows, still a thing. Phishing attacks surge in 2022. According to a new report from Slashnext, overall phishing attacks detected increased 61% in 2022 to over 255 million. If the rate of attacks tracks with last year, this would put 2022 totals of phishing attacks just under 300 million, triple the number detected in 2020. The vast majority of detected attacks, 76%, were based around credential harvesting. The majority of attacks represented zero-hour attacks as well. More troublingly, these phishing threats increasingly originate from accounts on trusted services, things like Microsoft, AWS, or Google. 
32% of phishing threats in 2022 came from a trusted service, up 80% on the year. Okay, okay. So there's a couple things to pick apart here. First of all, let's all agree this is a vendor report. So let's just see what Slash Next does. I'm guessing email security, uh, multi-channel cloud communication security platform for the modern workforce. Close the gaps. Email's the first one. Here's my shock face. Okay, so put, hold on. Putting that aside. Putting that aside. Let's just look at it. I'm not going to poo-poo this, okay? I do think that there has been an uptick in phishing. As a phishing attack platforms have gotten more you know, advanced, more easy to use. I just saw one recently called, uh, I think it's called Serial, right? Serial phishing platform. Is that what it's called? Serial? Coletti Serial phishing soft. No. Gosh, I just... I just saw one recently, like when I was at Wild West Hacking Fest, that it makes it like super easy. You don't have to find like a Telegram link or get admin clearance or anything like that. Like anyone can just sign up. I forget what it's called now. And you're off and running. So more people are able to send fishes. Um, they said that, you know, oh, it's like we're seeing an uptick in um, trusted services, Microsoft, Amazon, Google. Yeah. Do you know why? Because they offer cloud hosting. It's not because like those sites, like the way this reads kind of annoying because it's not like, oh, it's coming from Jerry at Microsoft.com. No, it's coming from a Office 365 or an Azure, excuse me, an Azure bank of VMs, an AWS bank of VMs, right? So of course, right? Now, if we're talking about, if we're talking about looking at the URL and educating our end users to look at the URL and, and question it, Yes, that is true. If they look at it and they see AWS or Google API, which we saw yesterday with the Yeti cooler, Jess Bishop wrote a blog post on it. It, it, it will trick regular end users. So yes, it's a, it's a benefit for threat actors because they're getting the benefit of cloud services so they can spin up and spin down really quickly infrastructure. Makes that Bianco pyramid a pain around the lower half of the pyramid. Um, a little less painful for them, frankly, because they can basically use DevOps for managing their malicious infrastructure. But this is true, guys, this is true. It might be a little bit inflated, a little bit inflated just to make the vendor look better. But in reality, I think that these numbers are pretty close to accurate. Um, and it just goes to show you, A, this is a legitimate attack vector by threat actors, many of them, many, many, many of them start with a fish, okay? Where they're trying to get you to download malware or, you know, as I said in here, most of them are going for credential harvesting, i.e. here's a login page, drop in your login. Oh, you've got, you know, I don't know, a package waiting for you, click here, log in. Oh, you're gonna get a promotion, you're gonna get a pay raise, you're gonna get fired, log into your Office 365 account, boom, we got your creds, now we're gonna move laterally. This is why MFA is so important. Um, so anyways, long story short here, guys, like literally, this is the TLDR. Email security gateways are vitally important right now. And educating your end users on fishes should be a regular thing. And not just, hey, dear end user, fishes happen. Watch out what you click on. No, you have to give them tangible things. World Cup is coming up. FIFA World Cup. There you go. Tell them that they're going to expect phishing emails around that. College football championship. 
Expect phishing emails on that. Want free tickets to the masters? Expect phishing tickets on that. I mean, phishing emails on that, right? IRS smishes, expect fishes on that, right? Like there's a million options. Give them tangible things. Show them, show them the actual fish. Show them what's going on. Educate them. They will appreciate it. Do not get into, you know, don't get into TCP and C2 infrastructure and honeypots and watering holes, right? Like they don't care about that crap. What they care about is I just gave my password to a bad guy. What they care about is a bad guy just logged into my bank account, right? Tell them that a bad guy is going to cancel their Netflix account or pollute their pollute their algorithm of like what Netflix is suggesting to them, right? I mean, that's kind of a playful thing, but still, Threat Actor could do it. All right, let's read the read. And now thanks to this week's episode sponsor, Fotiro. UFOs are everywhere. They're in your applications, cloud storage, endpoints, and emails. That's right, UFOs, unidentified file objects, are hiding in files across your organization. UFOs can contain malware that exfiltrates data or deploys ransomware. And 70% of UFOs can't be detected by traditional scanning solutions like antivirus and sandboxing. That's where Votero comes in. Votero prevents UFOs before they hitch a ride in on files without detection and without slowing down business. Do you believe? Learn more at votero.com UFOs. That's V-O-T-I-R-O dot com slash UFOs. Hey, 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 it's the mid-roll. It's meme Thursday. We've got a lot to cover in the mid-roll, so I will be brief. First of all, shout out and much love to the work of one Jess Bishop community member who wrote up this sick... Um, blog post just last night i posted about this i got this fish in my email multiple times and i was sick of it so i wanted to share with everybody because i'm like i do good stuff good like you know email protections and stuff why am i getting this stupid fish so i posted it as a public service announcement just grabbed it 30 minutes later just has a blog post up on explaining exactly how the threat actors are getting through um teaser it has to do with bayesian bayesian filtering and I haven't yet read this email, but I am super excited to read it. Look at this, Jess. You did a fantastic job getting full detail. You can tell Jess works in a sock and has to write reports. This is well done, Jess. So go ahead and check out that. Since we're talking about blue team defense and socks, want to give uh, some love real quick. It is Thursday, y'all. I'll drop a link in chat for this. You're going to get all the metadata that came in my uh, browser, but that, that link will work. Um, Recon InfoSec, proud proud sponsor of the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. Um, they host a Thursday open session, 30 minutes Zoom session uh, from 12.30 to 1 Central Time. So 1.30 p.m. Central Time. It's unscripted. It's unrecorded. It's commercial free. It's literally Recon InfoSec giving to the community. They usually have a special guest. I was the special guest in their initial launch, which was really flattering and, and, and very uh, humbling. Guys, I'm going to try to be there. It's it's really cool. If you're a blue teamer or aspiring blue teamer, you will get absolute value from this. There's hundreds of people on the Zoom. It's, it's, it's really cool. Go check it out if you haven't done it already. And... Just want to share with everybody the meme of the Thursday haircut fish in chat right now. Um, Dan Reardon 
great community member. He's responsible for the Thursday memes because Halloween's around the corner. Here is our Thursday. Jerry going full. Jerry going full Carl. If you guys don't know where Carl came from, Carl is an Aqua Teen Hunger Force uh, animated character. And this is Carl. And uh, so that's when we're saying Carl. That's where it comes from. Um, and, and Dan made me go full Carl. So screen clip it if you guys want. <laughs> screen clip it if you want. Um, I'll throw a Carl sound effect in three, two. Thank you very much, Haircut Fish. That'll be my um, Halloween costume next year. I'll shave my head, put on the white beater, blue sweatpants, and get after it, okay? All right. That is the mid-roll. Thank you, everybody. Let's get back to the news. Industrial ransomware attacks rise in North America. According to a new analysis by Dragos, in Q3, 36% of all industrial ransomware cases hit North American organizations, up from 25% in Q2. Overall, the rate of attacks remained virtually flat, with 128 incidents in the quarter, up just 2.4%. The manufacturing sector remains a popular target for industrial ransomware, representing 68% of attacks in Q3. Within this group, metal production and food and beverage sectors were the most commonly hit. Lockbit operated 35% of all of these attacks. Other groups targeted more specific industries, with Ragnar Locker hitting the energy sector specifically. Microsoft fixes driver. All right, so two things here. One, ransomware, um, you know, it's been targeting uh, manufacturing. Manufacturing has been like the most targeted industry for, you know, the last two or three years. Like it's, it is, you know, ground zero if you're, um, if you're a ransomware gang, like that's where you're hitting. And it probably has to do with supply chain and, um, you know, I, I work for a manufacturing company. I was in charge of information security at a manufacturing company, as long as the machines are running, they are making money. The second the machine stops, it's like turning a faucet off. If water was money, they want the faucet full tilt all the time. And when you have to turn the faucet off in order to patch or repair, you know, like even like physically, like a, like a cog breaks or a belt breaks and you got to stop it, you're turning that water off and money is not pouring out of that machine. So Industri uh, manufacturing is especially sensitive to ransomware attacks and massive system downtime, which is why it's so appealing because you can rebuild your environment in three weeks or you can pay the ransom and be back up and running in like five days, right? So you do a simple cost benefit analysis. If we make a million dollars a day, the ransom's $1 million uh, and we're going to lose 25 days of business if we don't pay it or we're going to lose, I mean, 30 days if we do pay it, five days if we you know what I'm saying? 30 days if we don't, five days if we do, that's $25 million of potential loss. They want 1 million. Easy, easy decision for the CFO to make, okay? So that's why they hit that one. Here's the pro tip. If you work in manufacturing, they said that Lockbit is the most likely threat actor to target manufacturing. There's other ones, but Lockbit. So if I was in charge of manufacturing like I used to be, I would actually schedule a tabletop exercise using Lockbit as the threat actor. I would go to MITRE ATT&CK. I would study Lockbit, or or they, if they're in there, or or go find out what Lockbit's TTPs are. Um, you know, I'll also do some research on what the IOCs are, so you can make the scenario a little bit more interesting. And use this article 
to call out why you're having a tabletop exercise. Listen, we are at risk. We are the most targeted industry. This threat actor is the most likely one. Let us go and simulate it and see what happens, right? Big value. You deliver value to the organization. This right here, this story will, and there's probably a, um, there's probably a report underneath. If I had to guess, yeah, Dragos has a report. Uh, Dragos is well known in the ICSOT industry manufacturing. So there's a report that you can point to to give you authority and um, get trust from the non-tech people and execute a tabletop exercise. Um, just as a whatever, I just did a stream two weeks ago and there's going to be more coming up on threat gen side of doing a tabletop exercise and how to do it. So if you don't know how to do a tabletop exercise, um, stay tuned. Like you can go watch that video. We're going to do more on the threat gen side. You know, there is a technique, there is a model. If And and you can lose political capital quite easily if you're like, oh, let's do a tabletop exercise. And then the exercise sucks. Next time you say, let's do a tabletop exercise, people are going to be like, oh my God, groan. Like Jerry wants us to do the tabletop exercise. Remember what a what an absolute waste of time that was last time. Ugh. So you really want to make sure you, you knock it out of the park the first time. Anyways, that's how I would do it. And that's what I would do with this information. Blocklist sync. Microsoft uses the Windows kernel vulnerable driver blocklist to block threat actors from dropping vulnerable but otherwise legitimate drivers onto Windows machines. These older drivers can be used for privilege escalation attacks in the Windows kernel, an approach used by ransomware organizations and APTs. Last month, security analysis Will Dorman discovered that Windows 10 and Windows Server machines did not properly sync the block list, using a list from way back in December 2019. Microsoft confirmed that it resolved the issue in the October 2022 preview update and that Windows 10 and 11 will have the same block list across devices. Yep. All right. So I kind of missed part of this story, but I do have some thoughts around block lists and risks of that. I, I was just seeing Gaming with the Cat's comment about the company they work for where the OT is basically, uh, there's zero network segmentation. Um, I don't even work for that company and my stomach like gurgled. Like I, I might have to go take a Pepto pill after the stream because like it's nauseating to think that that's what you're doing. That is like, I mean, that is, whew, I can't even talk about it without getting kind of like verklempt. Oh my God. Oh my God. I can't even, I wish I hadn't read that. Oh, okay. Um, all right. I'm going to power through this. Okay. Um, oh my God. That's going to haunt my dreams gaming with the cat. All right. So we, uh, I got a high chat. Hold on one second. Wow. All right. So windows vulnerable driver block list. So windows actually has a list of drivers um, that, you know, aren't allowed basically, or they run some type of either whitelist or blacklist. Think of it very similar to the way that signature based virus, antivirus solutions used to work, right? There was a, a definition list or a dictionary of unauthorized software. If this shows up, it's not allowed to execute. This is the same way, um, that this block list works. Now, the problem with this is you're putting a lot of faith into that list. If that list gets overwritten, if that list gets modified, if you swap it out, um, if you don't, if you if you no longer point to it, you might not know that the, that list is not working effectively. Um, they say here that a, a well-known popular attack amongst threat actors um, is is to do BYOVD, bring your own vulnerable driver, right? You pop it in there and then you exploit it immediately, right? Um, 
Let me see. Oh yeah, so basically they were they were out of date. Windows 10, Windows Server systems were using an outdated version of the driver. So obviously someone at Microsoft made an update. Uh, the Windows 11 was pointing at it, but just like <laughs> just like every other piece of uh, tech or IT person or you know anyone, um, they didn't go back and look at what is the residual impact of making this decision. Oh, Windows 11's got all the new vulnerable drivers list. Let's go, let's go, right? Let's go. And then someone was like, oh, like, oh, like we forgot that there is like legacy software that wasn't updated about that. And this is why you have to be careful um, when people come up with great ideas of new stuff. You are adding to the quote unquote IT ecosystem. You are adding to the technical debt, right? If you've heard the term technical debt. Um, you're adding to all that and you have to now manage all of that. So when Carl has a great idea and you guys are like, yeah, it's going to save the company money and like so much better that we um, built it ourselves or whatever, you actually run the risk of introducing problems downstream because, you know, people leave, people move on to other projects, people lose interest and it just kind of lingers. And it sounds like something like that is happening here. Obviously, Microsoft got it fixed, so good on them, but be mindful of it. Meta breaches antitrust order in Turkey. The Turkish Competition Authority ruled that Meta's practice of combining data collected across its platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp, deteriorated competition. It argued such aggregation creates barriers to entry in the online display ad market. It fined the company 346.72 million lira, about 18.6 million US dollars. While a trivial sum for Meta and below fines it's received in other markets, the ruling does challenge Meta's core micro-targeting ad model. More significantly, the Turkish case largely mirrors an ongoing concern of German regulators. The German FCO and Meta continue to wrangle over a data separation order that dates back to February 2019. Okay, like, let's be real here. Um, so Meta is basically getting hit with antitrust lawsuit, essentially. They're saying that because they have all of these different platforms... They have access to all the data. They can then map and, and, and provide a more rich um, understanding of who the person is on the phone and then have targeted ads. You know, I, I honestly, I would argue, I, I don't know. Like, to me, I don't know if it's antitrust or not. I mean, it's it's is it Meta's fault that they have, you know, they offer multiple solutions that millions of people have used? You know, I, I don't know. I, I'm not 100% sold on this being antitrust. To me, antitrust is where like, you know, Facebook is the only social media app or Google, like Google, like, like Google will only let you use Google Mail if you use Google search, right? Like for example, like you're not allowed to use Bing. The second you use Bing or DuckDuckGo, your Google Mail account deletes or something like that. I, you know what I mean? Or, or you get like throttled or something like that. That's antitrust. I'm not sure I believe that this is antitrust, but that's me. But the more important thing is, here's the fine. <laughs> like, like Todd in accounting has access to petty cash up to 18.6 million. Like this doesn't even, like, I don't even know if like the UK or the EU lead, the Turkey lead for Meta, like even reports this back to the, you know, um, Silicon Valley people. This is just like cut a check, keep doing business because I guarantee you this right here, they made more than $18.6 million off of targeted advertising. 
it's the cost of doing business, guys. Uh, whatever. Like, okay. Vice Society targets education with ransomware. Microsoft's threat intelligence team reported observing the group since June 2021, targeting education, government, and retail sectors since that time. It differentiates from other groups by focusing on getting into the victim system to deploy ransomware binaries sold on dark web forums. Vice Society also changes payloads over time, moving from Black Cat to Zeppelin and now using a custom variant. A financially motivated ransomware actor, it focuses on organizations with weaker security controls and a high likelihood of payout, making education a prime target. Microsoft says it shows active ties in the cybercriminal economy and seems to be testing payload efficiency for the best post-extortion payouts. Okay. Couple things. Couple things, if I had to guess. If I had to guess, I know that Vice Society is the one who attacked uh, Los Angeles County School District. I'm curious, they are attacking the education sector. Do, do they talk about, uh, okay, so this is just linking them to ransomware strains. I wanna know who else they attacked. I wanna know if they're attacking only US-based education sector or if they're attacking education sector anywhere. Did, did anyone get that? Um, Cause I, I have some like, like some hot takes. I have some theories on this one and uh, uh, whatever. I don't see anything here, but here's my thing. I feel like vice society is a medium sophisticated financially motivated threat actor, potentially in the United States who, um, cause they're, they're not, they're, they're using malware that they're buying off the dark web. So they're not developing their own. They're not managing their own. They're leveraging existing. Um, the education sector is notoriously um, underfunded and not super secure. They typically don't have their own infosec staff, so they'll have like IT with Matrix. Um, you know, teachers are some of the worst paid. Uh, like it's a shame, but teachers aren't paid great in the United States, which you have to imagine that they're not paying the IT people at those businesses, you know, significantly more than the teachers. So. I, I almost feel like Vice Society either was a professional services or something like that, where they had worked in education and saw firsthand how bad it was, or they worked in education, weren't getting paid well, had, you know, push came the shove. And they're like, you know what, let's go all in on ransomware. I'm not making 35,000 a year uh, being IT at this school. I'm going to go YOLO and make, you know, whatever, a couple million dollars uh, with this. But, I, but having the technical acumen to be able to understand how to go get Black Cat, Zeppelin, Locker, Quantum Locker, et cetera, um, payloads, and then actually successfully deploy them. So, you know, be, be on the uh, lookout. You can see that they focus on getting in the victim system themselves um, using, um, it doesn't say how they do it. So either, you know, whatever, um, phishing. Oh, here. They rely on exploits for publicly disclosed vulnerabilities. Uh, for internet applications. So guys, I'm telling you again, like this indicates they're not script kitties. Script kitties can't, I mean, they could, but like, I don't typically think of script kitties as like going on the dark web, pulling random binaries, being able to chain them together in a successful campaign of compromise d deployment, and then ultimately um, getting paid. Right. So I think that they're a little bit more sophisticated than that, but they are using existing binaries that they're purchasing and they're using existing exploits that they're finding on public facing systems, right? So they're not writing exploits. They're not finding zero days on their own. They're not doing advanced 
penetration. They're they're using exploit DB and Shodan, right? So it just makes me wonder, you know, if they're just targeting education, if they have that, you know, that awareness. But anyways, this to me, perfect case study on um, medium, medium grade uh, threat actors. Still, still super successful, and and you know, you should account for them in your threat model. What's the difference between a head of security, a VP of security, and a CISO? I don't know because the stories are over here. Let's go. Do you have the time? To to me. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today's show. I want to tease a little bit later on today at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time. It is Thursday um, and most Thursdays. We didn't do it last week because I was in the mountains, but most Thursdays we get together and welcome industry guests for long-form interviews, and today is no different. David Klein, Dave Klein, he's been on the show a few times, great guy, uh, good attitude. He's coming on to talk about continuous threat exposure management like a boss. Literally, I had a call with him, and he's like, "Oh, you know, have, what are you doing about C, like CTEM?" I'm like, "What? What is CTEM, dude? What acronym are you talking about?" He's like, "Continuous Threat Exposure Management." I'm like, "What is that?" He's like, "Oh, it's kind, of, it's like a new thing that we're talking about in industry and all this." So I was like, "Oh, okay. Like, I need to know more about this." So I asked him some questions, and I was like, "You know what? This is interesting. Like, why don't you come on the show and we'll talk about continuous threat exposure management? Um, it's kind of a novel way uh, to be more proactive with." managing your attack surface and being aware and and it's basically applying kind of agile it's it's like applying agile techniques to um security posture okay but we'll get all into it it'll be a good time you'll have fun come by at 4 30 p.m eastern time later today uh i do want to thank all of you jeff fuller jenny housley james robinson um Ch gaming with the cat for the nightmare i appreciate that um Kevin Knight, guys, if you're new here, thank you so much for checking it out. I hope you got value. If you're a regular, if you're a squad member, love the support. Love uh, having you guys here every day. Hope you enjoy the, the music, the layout, the education, the content, the delivery, the whole experience. If you have feedback, um, you know, drop it in Discord. Let me know. I'm always interested in making the stream as useful and as valuable to you guys as I possibly can. Uh, that's, my, that's my deal. Hey, Brady McNulty, thanks so much for the squad. My pleasure. Guys, if you if you do get value out of it and you want to take a hot second, share, um, you know, share tomorrow's episode in your social networks today, right? So you can just go to YouTube, look up upcoming streams. I just noticed YouTube changed. Like simplycyber.io slash streams used to take you to upcoming live streams, and YouTube changed the interface last night. So I've got to figure out what that is, but... Um, Oh, Jeremy Williams, you're too nice, dude. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, just share tomorrow's stream, and uh, we'll, we'll make some new friends. Okay, guys? Try to keep, keep it to 45 minutes. I hope you guys all have a great day, and we will see you to later today at 4.30 p.m. Be good, everybody. Oh, actually, I forgot. I've got a new uh, way to outro here. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. Let's try it out. You tell me if you guys like it, okay? Be good, everybody. We'll talk to you later. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep.